Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by, <clears throat> by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in, him, in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to your word, we thank you for the privilege to read it, to read it in our language, to have it in our language. Um, I pray that even through the reading of your word, especially through the reading of your word, that you would conform us to the image of your son. And so now as we, as we break it down a little bit, as we explain and exhort and exalt in the glory of your word, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would empower us to be hearers of your word and also doers of your word, that you would help us to believe and that you would help us to work. Um, We pray that you would use our time together under your word. No one in this room is above your word. We are all submitting ourselves under your word this morning. So I pray that we would be the better for it and that you would use it to not only conform us individually to the image of your son, but that you would use it to build up this body corporately, to reflect and be what you have made us to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You can be seated. We are jumping into a three-week series on the church. Our typical practice here at Trace Crossing is to preach through Bible books, verse by verse. And uh, we did that over the summer. We went through the book of James this past week. Last week was such a joy for me. Not just because I got to sit on the front row and not do anything. Um, It was was a joy to me to look look on the stage and, and see church members church members. We didn't call someone in from the outside to come in. We didn't call an itinerant preacher. We, we, didn't, we didn't call out, call out a professional worship leader to come in. Everyone on this stage is a member of Trace Crossing. And, and last week especially, the lead pastor wasn't up here preaching the word to you. A church member was, who has the gift of teaching, who was called. It, it, was, it was a beautiful testimony of the power of the Spirit in using 
church members to build one another up. And we want to see that continue. And as we jump into the fall semester, you know, we're, we're jumping back into all of our ministries. We're, we're back into equipping classes. We started that this past week. We're back into life groups. They're going to kick off tonight all across our city. Uh, preschool ministry, you know, kicks off with new teachings on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Kids ministry, student ministry. Men's ministry lunches are going to be popping up again. Women's ministry activities are going to pop up again. So we're getting back into the life of our church and, you know, we continue to have mission partnerships. There's going to be an opportunity for us to help the Talbot House again this week. So, you know, as we do all of those things, I know it's really easy for us to do them and forget or neglect why we do them. Um, You know, I have three boys. I have a one-year-old. If you didn't know, I have a one-year-old. Jack's about to turn three, and then Jude is four, okay? So um, we are in the throes of toddler and preschool why questions, Right, parents. If you have if you have kids around that age or did it one time, you know, you know what I mean. The the why you, you you tell them to do something, why, and then you explain, but it's not good enough. But why, you know, everything is turned into another why question. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? And you know, whenever we talk about, you know, you can always tell a parent that that has young kids because they always look tired. Do you know why they always look tired? Because they're always tired, okay? Always. I, you know, I have this watch and it, it tracks my sleep at night and I get this question every single morning after I wake up and it says, how rested do you feel? And you have three options. It's like, you know, t- completely rested, somewhat rested, or not at all rested. And like nine times out of ten, it's not at all rested that I, that I choose, you know? It's just you're not, you're not tired. Because Erica, she always wakes me up when she goes to the kids. It's so annoying, you know? It's like... Sorry. I just told on myself, I guess. And, uh, she's always the one that goes to the kids. But, um, um, but yeah, we are always tired. But most of the exhaustion is not physical. Okay? It's not, it's not that some, yeah, they are heavy, you know, so at times picking them up and throwing them around and playing with them, and it does get exhausting that way. But it's really exhausting mentally and emotionally, you know? Uh, because, you know, little, little kids, they're like emotional tyrants, right? They're like, I mean, they're just constantly, they're happy one minute, and then the next minute, they're just like tearing the house apart. And, you know, then it's, they're the sweetest things in the world, and you're in the middle of all of this. But, yeah, what exhausts me personally more than anything are the why questions, you know? It's like, hey, I, you need to eat your breakfast. Why? Well, you know, because you're probably hungry, and, you know, it's good to eat breakfast for the day. Why? You know, you just explain and explain and explain, and eventually you're just exhausted. Well, just so you know, I've basically become the annoying little toddler to the church staff and to the elders, okay? Because um, I, I'm asking why questions. It's, it's always good for us to put every single thing that we have been doing, every single thing we think we should do, and put it on the table. Everything, everything is on the table. Why do we do that? Why do we do this? When it comes to staffing, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to trying to build community, what are the things we're currently doing? Why are we doing that? And, you know, strangely, sometimes it's hard to answer, you know? Sometimes we can get caught up into just doing church things because, well, we're a church, and you just do church things. I want to turn the question to you. Have you ever considered why you do the things you do as a Christian? You know, all the, thing, all the Christian things that you do. Why, why do you do them? Um, so, for example, have you ever considered why you're a member of a local church? 
Why do you do that? Why, why are you a member of a local church? And more specifically, have you ever considered why you're a member of Trace Crossing? Like, why? Some of you have been members of Trace for a, a while. Some of you since its earliest days. Why, though? There's going to be like five people here next week because I made you all think about why, and you're like, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Never thought about it. Now that I did, no, I'm not. But, you know, is church membership really that important? Does it matter? Does it matter that we gather as the church? You know, I was, I was watching a Netflix documentary called The Family, and it's, it's about this religious slash, you know, covert political organization in, in D.C., and their whole thing is everything's about Jesus. Everything. So none of them are members of churches, and they themselves are not a church. They call themselves followers of Jesus. We don't need the church. We just need Jesus. And no joke, they have a book. They don't, they, don't, they don't teach from the Bible. What they do is they take the Gospels and the book of Acts and they put it together in one resource and on the front they have the word Jesus. It's like, it's this simple, guys. It's Jesus. Just live like Jesus, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, and you don't need anything else. Now, we may think that's silly, but how often do we live like that? Or maybe you haven't thought about it in a while. Do you really need the church? Or do you just need Jesus? Can we separate following Jesus from being a part of a local church? We're going to try to answer these questions over, over the next three weeks. We want to consider the first today the identity of the church, and next week the life of the church, and the week after that the mission of the church. The next two weeks we want to consider what we do. What do we do? What should we do, anyway, as a local church, and specifically at Trace Crossing? What should we be doing, you know, in our own community and, and in our city and in the world? What, what should we be doing? Um, but this morning, I want us to think about this problem, this I need Jesus, but I don't need the church problem. It's easy to embrace that mindset, but guess what? If you embrace that mindset, you're going to respond typically in one of two ways. First, You'll give up on the church entirely like that group, the family. You'll give up on the church and just leave and never be a part of it again. I don't need the church. I don't need the church to read my Bible and I can watch sermons at home, online. I love what Rory mentioned earlier. We have created this consumeristic, individualistic church culture. We have followed the culture that is consumeristic and is individualistic. And then we get surprised when people say, I don't want to be a part of the church anymore. We've taught them how to do personal Bible study and personal evangelism. And yet we belittle, you know, we, some churches even say Sunday mornings are not for the church. They're, they're to reach people who don't know Jesus yet. And so people come to the conclusion, well, okay then. I'll just do all this personal discipleship and Bible study on my own and I don't need to be a part of a local church. After all, the church is full of problems. I mean, how many of us have seen and experienced the pain and the problems that permeate the local church in general. That means you can go to any local church and you can talk to people who've been there a while and be like, hey, how have things gone? And they're gonna have a bad story to tell you. Some of them will have horror stories. Well, you know, we just came out of a really hard season. It's typical. You know, we, just, we had something horrible happen. I mean, we've seen how churches spread across all denominations, all traditions. We've seen how the church has failed. And some of you 
have experienced firsthand spiritual, physical, emotional abuse at the hands of church leaders. And if you haven't experienced it, we've seen it. We've read the headlines. We see how the church has failed. So can't we just follow Jesus without the church? If, if, if you go down that path, you could just give up and say, yes, I can. I'm done. The second way is more common, though. Here's what we typically do. You have this mindset, I need Jesus, but not the church. So you grow apathetic to the life and the mission of the church. Why, why do I have to show up on Sunday mornings? Music's not my favorite. Sorry, Rory. Preaching's definitely not my thing. You know, I could definitely spend an hour and a half doing something more than listen to a guy talk. I did say hour and a half, by the way. You're supposed to laugh at that. It was funny. I've, I've tried to cut down on that. Um, you know, so you just grow apathetic. Your, your participation and your commitment to the local church, it becomes optional all of a sudden. I'm not necessarily going to give up on the church, and I'll be there every now and then. I may do some things, but I'm just going to mostly check out. That's an attitude of, I need Jesus, because you would never check out on Jesus. I need Jesus, but the church, eh, I can take it or leave it. When we're tempted toward an attitude of abandonment of the church or apathy toward the church, it may just be that we've forgotten who we are. You know, it's, it's become popular in Christian circles to talk about identity, you know? Your identity is in Christ, and nothing else, and that changes everything about your life. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. But again, the emphasis is on the individual. Your identity, and your identity, and your identity, and your identity. And we never talk about the corporate identity of the church, Meaning that when you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into the church. When you trust in Jesus for salvation from your sin individually, you are adopted into a family. So this morning, we're going to talk about a few corporate markers or identity markers. We're going to talk about what our identity as a local church is. Because you and I, we need the church. We desperately need the church, but not because of the specific things the church does. I hear that all the time too. I need the church because, man, I just need accountability. I need some guys to come alongside me. And I, man, I really just need some community. I, I, I need it. I need that refreshing word on Sunday mornings. I need it. And you, and you talk about all the things the church does. Do you, know, do you know the first reason you need the church? Because it's who you are. It's who you are. Knowing and remembering who we are as a church. It directly, not indirectly, it directly determines what we do as a church. That's why I'm asking why questions. Doesn't, doesn't mean we change anything. We may not change anything. But we have to ask the questions committing ourselves to one another and participating in the work God has called us to as the church at Trace Crossing in Tupelo and to the nations starts by embracing our identity as a particular kind of people. That's where it starts. We have to embrace our identity. <laughs> Almost every week. 
almost every week it's fine we'll all get used to it together it's always right in the middle of something big too right I'm like up and now I've come back down so and this isn't my water so I can't drink it oh no one's drinking okay good okay See, that's where I would just like take a drink of water to, you know, allow a couple seconds to pass and then jump back into it. But I didn't know that wasn't my water. Okay. Anyway. I'll say it again. Committing ourselves to one another and participating in the work God has called us to in Tupelo and to the nation starts by embracing our identity as a particular kind of people. So probably the most beautiful description of the church um, and, and the most vibrant, okay? We have so many different illustrations that, that Paul gives us, and I love the way that he, he unpacks it. So in, in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, there are basically three sections, and that's how I'm gonna divide the sermon, but first, in verses 11 through 12, Paul reminds us who we were, who we were. This was your identity before. And then, then he moves on uh, later in verses 19 through 22, and he teaches us who we are now. So who have we become? What is our identity? We see that in verses 19 through 22. And then right between that, sandwiched between that, we have this beautiful, some scholars even think it was a hymn. It's formed in a confession. We're, gonna, we're talking about confessions on Wednesday nights in my equipping class. And it, it's stated like a confession. Some people believe that it turned into a hymn for the early church. But, but in verses 13 through 18, we have this glorious description of what Jesus did to take us from who we once were to who we are now, not as individuals, but as a people, as a body. So let's, let's break these down one by one. First, in Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, Paul lets us know who, who we were. He writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So who were these Gentiles? This is who Paul is addressing. He's addressing Gentiles who are new converts, who have become Christians. And now they're in this new thing. Now they are alongside Jews who they had been alienated from all this time. And it's a, it's a weird new kind of thing. And so Paul's explaining to them, this is, this is who you are now, but don't forget who you once were. And he does that to highlight the glory of what they have become in Christ. And, and he says there, there were five characteristics of your identity before you came to faith in Jesus. The first one, separation. We were separated from the Son of God. He says in verse 12, remember you were at that time separated from Christ or separated from the Messiah. They did not share the messianic hope that that the Jewish people had. So even though the Jewish people needed to be reconciled to God through Christ as well as the Gentiles, they at least had this hope. They had received the, the prophets and they had received the scriptures and they had received the promises of God that there's one day coming a Messiah who will set all things right and who will reconcile them to God. So they had, they had this hope. The Gentiles were cut off from Christ. But because we all sin, every single person in this room has sinned, that is our state before we come to faith in Jesus. 
We are separated. We are cut off from the Son of God. To, to give you another picture, think of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, when they're created, they're in the garden, and they're enjoying the very presence of the Lord. And then they sin. And there are all these consequences, and we talk about the consequences of the fall all the time. Um, the, way, the way we've taught it to, to the children here in the past is we, we look at the end of that account, and we see that Adam and Eve are banished, right? They're kicked out. They're cut off from the land which is a motif that continues throughout scripture, but they're cut off from the land of of the living, the land of God. They're separated from him. They're banished. And what the phrase we teach the kids is because of their sin, they can't come in. And then we we tell them because of your sin, you can't come in. You you can't be with God. You are separated. You are cut off. The, The greatest tragedy of the curse is not that work is really hard now. Okay, it's, it's, not, it's not labor in, in child, childbirth, it's separation from God's presence. Adam and Eve's experience is a shared experience among all mankind. We all experience this. We are far from God because of our sin. And it's not, it's not something that we can overcome. If you're in this room and, you, and you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus, I want to be clear where scripture is clear. You are far from God. You can be the most spiritual person in the world, but if you don't know Jesus, you are actually very far from the living God. And so were all of us. We were separated from this Christ and we had no hope which we'll get to in a second so first we were separated the second thing that marked our identity before we were Christians before we came to faith in Jesus we were alienated from the people of God so so Paul says remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel they were not welcome they could there, there was only a certain part of the temple court that they could enter and then Gentiles could, could not go any further, okay? They, they were alienated. They were not a part of this people. At one time, you and I, we were not part of God's people. All children aren't God's children, okay? So before you came to faith in Jesus, you were not, you were not a son or a daughter of the living God. You were not. You were alienated from that family, You were alienated from that people. You were not welcome in. You did not belong. Because of your sin, you did not belong to God's people. You were alienated. You were cut off. Third, Paul says we were strangers. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Strangers to the promises of God. This one's big. The Gentiles had no share in the promises of God made exclusively to Israel. They had no share in them. God made promises to the people of Israel, and those promises belonged to his people and his people alone. They did not belong to the Gentiles. You were far. He's telling these Gentiles, these these promises that they've cherished for centuries, you were foreign to them, and they were foreign to you. You did not have this hope of a savior. You didn't have this hope of a relationship. You were strangers. 
And when we were not God's people, we were strangers to his promises too. These great promises that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, they don't belong to all of mankind, they belong to God's people. Before we were God's people, that promise didn't belong to us. It wasn't ours. At one time, you were cut off not only from the presence of God, you were cut off not only from the people of God, but you were cut off from the promises of God. They did not belong to you. And so then he concludes with two more things that characterized the identity of the Gentiles before they became believers and that characterized us before we became believers. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Outside of Christ, our identity is marked by hopelessness. We are ultimately and eternally hopeless outside of Jesus. Why? Because we're separated from Christ, because we're alienated from God's people, and because we were strangers to the promises of God. The Gentiles did not share that hope, and before we were God's people, we had no hope. We hope and we dream for the future, but nothing we could hope for on our own and within ourselves could deal with the deepest problems of our soul and in our world. Before we came to know Jesus, we were wandering in darkness, and we were finally without God. We were without God. Don't, Don't just skip past that. Remember who you were. Remember who you were. You were without God. You did not know him. You did not belong. You did not have him. You had no relationship with the one true and living God. You were without him in this world. And so you had no hope. These aren't just things that were true of them. It marked who they were. So there was nothing from that point out of that identity, out of an identity of separation, alienation, being strangers to God's promises, hopelessness, and being without God, if that's your identity. There is nothing you can do on your own to change that through any actions, through any special spiritual sacrifices or prayers that you could make. There's nothing that you could do to change these deep, Realities that were central to the heart of a lost person. Every single person that doesn't know Jesus in our city, these five characteristics are true of them. Think about that for a second. Think about your lost family members. Think about your lost friends and coworkers. Those five characteristics are true for them. They're separated from God. Everything's not okay. They're separated from God. And they're alienated from God's people. They are still image bearers and still honorable and worthy because they are image bearers, but that won't save them. They need to be recreated in the image of Christ, which comes through the preaching of the gospel message. But they were alienated from God's people. They were strangers to the promises of God, and they're without hope, and they're without God. 
It was true of all of us before we came to faith in Jesus. It was true of these Gentiles, and it's true of every single person that's in our city. That's who we were. Now, he moves on, and I want you to skip. Don't, don't read verses 13 through 18 yet. Let's skip down to verse 19. Because now, I want you to see how, how radically different our identity is now that we are in Christ. So here's who you were. Here's who you were. You were separated, alienated, you were strangers, you were without hope, and you were without God. And now he moves in verse 19 to show us, this is who you are now. This is who you are. If you're searching for identity as a church, look no further than verses 19 through 22. This is who we are as a church. You ready? So in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. I love it. I love the force of that. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So who are we as a church? What is our identity? It's marked by three descriptions here, okay? First, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We were once strangers, all right? We were foreigners. We were not welcome. But we're no longer we are no longer strangers. We are no longer foreigners. We have found citizenship in God's kingdom. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom. We have a king who righteously and powerfully fights all our battles, who rules on our behalf with justice and power, and who demands and deserves our allegiance as we await his glorious return when his kingdom will be fully and finally consummated in the new heavens and the new earth. What does that mean for us? Citizenship, just, just like citizenship of a country, it brings special privileges. And I don't know if you have thought about this, but a lot of the people who, who are immigrating to the United States and, and refugees, not just to the United States, but other countries as well, People who are seeking asylum, they are genuinely seeking the privileges that are offered by citizenship in a particular country, okay? That's what they're looking for. Their state is one of hopelessness, and so they are looking for citizenship. They are looking for asylum for the benefits that accompany them, all right? And so whenever we think about our citizenship in God's kingdom, we have to think about it in that way. Think about the land we once lived in. Think about our former state. Think about who we once were. What privileges came along with that? What was our inheritance? Our inheritance was death, estrangement. Our inheritance was being nothing more than an outcast, not welcomed in, and ultimately ending in death. But once we become citizens of God's kingdom, we receive we receive what people seeking citizenship and asylum are looking for, but we receive it and it's secure. They're looking for opportunity and security. We find it. We find true eternal security in God's kingdom as his citizens. We enjoy the privilege of belonging to the king and belonging to one another. We enjoy the privilege of security under the power and authority of King Jesus. 
And we enjoy what we formerly had no hope of enjoying. We enjoy the privilege of possessing God's wonderful, eternal promises that were once foreign to us. Those promises were once foreign to us. But because we have become citizens in this kingdom, they belong to us. They are ours. Now, if, if you're like uh, Cameron and Jessica Moore and you, do, and you travel a lot and you, you visit other countries, Cameron and Jessica made it to China, by the way. They're, they're in China, so that's just a good update for you. That was an interesting journey uh, from what I hear, but um, they, they finally, finally made it to China. But if, you've ever, if you're like me and you've ever been in another country, I always get really nervous when I'm in another country, all right? Like, I'm always making sure that I have my passport with me. That's my biggest fear, is losing my passport. Like, I'm just paranoid. I'm paranoid that I'm gonna lose my passport, and then my mind goes to the extremes. Like, okay, if I, if I lose my passport, and they're not gonna let me leave, I'm gonna be in jail over here in this country for the rest of my life, you know? Like, I, I panic, and I worry. And I never feel like that here, though, you know? I feel secure. I don't even think twice about it. I mean, you know, half the time I leave my driver's license at home, you know? No cops in here, I can say that, you know? I, I don't worry about it. I'm a citizen. I belong. In God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, when we're citizens, we belong. We belong, and we have these wonderful privileges. Paul tells us that although we were once rebels and enemies of God and his kingdom, now in Christ Jesus, we belong as citizens of the very kingdom we opposed. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. But then Paul says that we're not just citizens of the kingdom of God, we are members of the family of God. He takes it to a more intimate level. Um, He says in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so if you're a Gentile and you're you're reading this and and you're, you're wrestling through it, It may be easy at first, and for Jews as well, to understand the idea of belonging in the same kingdom, okay? We we share the same citizenship with one another in Christ, Jews and Gentiles in the same country, in the same kingdom. And it may be easy for some of you to think of it in that way. But he goes to a next step that is truly astounding and would would have been really hard for them to understand. You're not just in the same kingdom, you're in the same family. These Gentiles were not just welcomed into a country, they were welcomed into a family. They were one family. And so this church, we, that's why we, we address all of our emails, faith family, faith family. We are a family, okay? You are individually a member of God's family. Everyone in this room, if, if they're in Christ, they're either your brother or your sister. How often do you think of one another in that way? You know, we're always looking for new friends. We, we've been created as a family. With God as our one father, everyone in this room that's in Christ, your brothers and sisters, and, you know, our experiences with that, it sometimes show us that the church is the family we never had. It's just a, it's just a great experience. You have so many trouble, troubles in your family and, and, and your family, they, they may alienate you for whatever reason and then you come to the church and, and you're just loved unconditionally. 
And, you know, for, for some of us, though, um, our experience is, is more like the church is the family we wish we never had, right? Like, it's, okay, yeah, don't remind me, we're a family, so that means I have to come to this reunion every single week, okay? Uh-huh. And you just put on a smile and you come in. But no matter your experience, whether up to this point it's been a good one or a bad one, you're a family. It's not a choice you make. It's, it's who you are. It's, it's a part of that core identity that we have as a church. So this church then, it's not a hotel. I, I think some of us think of the church as a hotel. What do you do at a hotel? You just go there whenever you're tired from driving and you stop and you stay for a night and then you move on and you go to wherever you're going. Is, is Sunday just that day in the week where it's like, man, I've been working all week long, now I'm tired, I'm gonna go to the hotel, I'm gonna go to the church for a night, for a morning, you know? And, and just, you know, check out, get some rest, get rejuvenated, and then we're gonna get back to what's really important. You know, no, the church is a family and, and we all have a role and building this family and making it strong. So you have a choice. You have a choice this morning. Because citizenship in the kingdom of God, you know, easy, good. All those privileges, we get the promises of God, wonderful. But to be a family and to build a strong family, we all have experience with that. It's really difficult. It's it's really challenging. And, And we all come from different you know, walks of life. We all come from different backgrounds. And, and, you know, for some of us, we all, you know, think different things are best. But part of our identity is family. We are a family, whether you like it or not. And if you choose to fellowship here with us, you are choosing to fellowship as a family. And, and so you have a choice. You can embrace that identity. And it's not gonna be easy but you can embrace that identity as a brother or sister with everybody else in this room and work, do the hard work of making this family strong. Or we can reject that identity and try to find something that better suits us, try to find something that's a little more comfortable. But you can't, you can't reject that this is God's plan for his church, that we are and exist and thrive and work together as a family. But then he gives us one more picture. So part of our identity, first, we're citizens of a kingdom that will never end. Second, we are members of a family with one another as brothers and sisters and with God as our father. And then finally, we are growing into a holy temple or a dwelling place for God. So um, he says in verse, uh, I'll just read that again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then verse 22, my favorite verse here, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul closes this description of the church's identity with this vivid illustration um, that would have hit home for both Jews and Gentiles. He says that the church is being built up into a temple, into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. So, you know, the next time someone tries to Jesus juke you, when you say you're going to the church, and they say, "Mm, how are you going to the church? The church isn't a building, the church is a people. You turn to Ephesians 2, and you just dunk all over them, and you say, actually, 
the church is a building, okay? And, and just, just rail on them. You have my permission to do that. We are a building, okay? We are. And we are each stones in that building. And what I love, what I love about this is that in Christ, we who were banished from God's presence Think about that, how it connects to what he said we once were. You were separated from God. You were without God. He says, in Christ, those of us who were banished from God's presence because of our sin have now become the very dwelling place of God. We are the dwelling place of God now for the presence of God. Oh, please never grow cold to the reality that the spirit of the living God dwells within us. We were cast out from his presence because of our sin and yet something happened that we're gonna unpack. Something happened that caused God himself to choose and be able to dwell within us. But here's my favorite part of this description. Part of our identity is that we're unfinished. Our identity as, as the church in this age is that we're imperfect, okay? So if you have expectations that the church is supposed to be perfect and you're at the same time very frustrated with how the church is, there's probably a correlation there. Your expectation is off. You think the church is supposed to be perfect and then it's not, so you hate it and you, go, and you leave. But Paul says, part of our identity is that we're imperfect, we're unfinished. My favorite part's when he says, in Christ, the whole structure, the whole structure of the church being joined together grows. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He doesn't doesn't say it is a perfectly spotless holy temple in the Lord. He says it grows into that. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then he says, in him, you also, just emphasizing to those Gentiles, how special those words would have been, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are an unfinished project. You know, contractors know all about those, right? They know all about those unfinished projects. They're so good at getting like half of it done and then, you know, maybe next year they finish. But we are, as the church, this dwelling place for the living God, this holy temple that we're growing into, we are unfinished. Now, through discipleship and evangelism and missions, God's church is being built together. I mean, I love that. I love that at our core, we're a growing people. Growing. That's what we're emphasizing this year in Life Group. You know that, right? It's a key value. It's a key value, growth. I want, that to, I want that to mark the culture of Trace Crossing. We're a growing church. You know what you have to do in order to be a growing church? Realize you're not there yet. When you realize you're not there yet, it's easy for you to say, yeah, I screw up. I mess up. I mess up a lot. Here are the steps I'm taking. This is what I need to do to advance. Whenever we view one another as unfinished projects, We see the value and the importance of our role to build one another up. We're not there yet. We're growing into that holy temple. We are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God. So if we understand our identity as one of, we're not there yet, but we're growing, oh, it radically transforms how we approach the ministries of this church. That's why we emphasize life groups. We're trying to build one another up. We're building something. So we gotta meet together. We gotta talk about the word. We have to talk about one another's lives. We have to equip one another and encourage one another. That's why we're emphasizing discipleship groups because there are some things that in a group of seven or eight you're not comfortable talking about, but you might be more comfortable in a group of two or three because we're not there yet. We're growing, we're being built up. That's why we're emphasizing equipping classes. We're being built up with the gospel of Jesus, what he's done for us, and the testimony and teaching of the prophets as, as the foundation. So since we're citizens, not strangers, since we're members of God's family, not alienated, and since we are stones of God's dwelling place being built together, we don't have the option to abandon the local church altogether. That's why part of our membership commitments is when we leave this place, we find another faith family. We find another faith family because we cannot abandon the local church altogether. It's who we are. It's who we are. We are God's people. We actually enjoy real privileges of citizenship when we take the Lord's Supper. Think about it. When you sing gospel truth, when you rejoice in the good news of what Jesus has done for us, it's a privilege that only a citizen of God's kingdom can enjoy. We do that every week. We actually participate in family life as we love and serve one another. We actually do the hard work of building others up and we allow others to build us up. That can only happen in the local church. You can't do that by yourself. So, so we need one another. So that's who we are. We're citizens, we're family, and we are growing into the dwelling place of the Lord. Now, last thing, how'd it happen? How'd it happen? How do you go from being cut off from the presence of God to being the very dwelling place of God? How do you go from being aliens and strangers to citizens and sons and daughters? What, what happened? Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? Why? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. We are who we are because Jesus did something. Our identity is completely 100% rooted in something that was done on our behalf, not on something that we have done to change our state. Jesus did something. He, he lived a sinless life. He died in our place, and he rose again from the dead. And through his life and death and resurrection, Jesus created peace. He created peace. It's by his blood 
that we now have peace with God because he fully bore the wrath of God that we deserve. And so he reconciles us to God and he also reconciles us to one another. We, don't, we not only have peace with God because Jesus died in our place, we have peace with one another. So we should pursue it. We should pursue unity and peace in this body, not because it's just the right thing to do, but because it's who we are and it's what Jesus died for. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus created a new people. God originally created Adam and Eve in his image through faith in Jesus, through his work on the cross, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is creating a new people in his image. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus created a new message and a new covenant of salvation and hope. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Back in Isaiah 57, Jesus is the fulfillment of that passage. Jesus came to us and he preached this new message of peace that is centered on his person and his work. And it's that message that we share. That's how we bring peace is by sharing the message, the news of what Jesus has done. And finally, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, he created access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Wholeness, unity, peace, access to God. These privileges that we never had. So we are citizens and we are members and we are growing into a temple of the Lord. We are who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. So the gospel is the basis of our identity. But not only that, he also tells us, interestingly enough, in verse 20, that we are who we are because of the testimony and the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. So Jesus did something, and then his apostles and the prophets, they told us something. Look at verse 20. So uh, these members of the household of God are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we know about Jesus, and, and we believe in Jesus largely because of the teaching and testimony of the apostles. We know who we are as a church. How do we know that? We're reading Ephesians. Okay, Christ is the cornerstone. He is the basis in his work. But we know this because we're reading Ephesians. The Lord has revealed himself through the testimony and the teaching of the apostles. And so the church's identity is based on the truth of the gospel message that's passed down to us by the apostles. And we take that same message and we take this same word and we pass it down. And that's how the church is built. That's how the church grows. So why does all this matter? Why does it matter that we know our identity as God's people? That we know what it means to be citizens and members of God's family? That we know what it means to be growing into a holy temple? Why does it matter? Well, as we've said, this is the key takeaway. The gospel is the basis of our identity as a church. What God has done on our behalf. Not what we create, not what we come up with, not what we develop. And our doctrine in our philosophy and our approach to ministry, guess what? It has to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets' testimony. We base who we are on what we have received in God's word. And because that's true, 
The gospel is not just the basis of our identity. The gospel is the basis of our activity as a church. This is what we're talking about as a staff. We're really hitting this home. We're, there's a great book written by Jared Wilson called The Gospel-Driven Church. I would encourage you to, to read that. He, he unpacks this, this idea um, you know, in, in really helpful ways. But if the gospel is our identity, none of us would disagree with that. If the gospel is the basis of our identity, it has to be the basis of what we do. If it's the basis of who we are, it has to be the basis of what we do. So what we choose to do on Sunday mornings, what we got to do? We got to ask why. Why are we doing that? And if the answer isn't in some way or some form, it's to adorn the gospel in this way. We need to reconsider. And all the ministries that we have, when we ask why, we put it on the table and we say, why are we doing that? If the answer cannot in some direct way be traced back to, well, because of this testimony from the apostles, because the word says this, or this is how it adorns the gospel. When we think about our missions partners, or who we choose to partner with in the partner, wow, <laughs> wow, sorry, I had to do it. I, I'm so lucky this is not like a youth camp or something, I'd be dead. Like I'm speaking at TCPS on Monday, I'd be dead if I said that. It'd be over, sermon over, just walk out. <laughs> when we consider mission partners, um, for the future, what's the basis for making those partnerships? What's the basis for making those choices? It has to be the gospel. It has to be the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, their teaching. So the gospel should be the central primary driving force of everything we do as a church. Everything we do. You have a ministry idea? I want to hear it. But before I even ask, you need to know that I'm going to ask, how does this adorn the gospel? How does this put it on full display? How, how does this flow from what the Lord has revealed in his, in his will for the church? A couple things before we leave. I, th I think there are two natural ways to respond to a passage like this as we consider who we are as the church. First, just rejoice. Just rejoice in gratitude for Jesus and what he's done. It's so clear. This is who you were. You were far off. You were separated. You were strangers. You were aliens. None of the promises belong to you. Because of Jesus, he is our peace. He has reconciled us to God, and he has reconciled us to one another, and he has created this new entity, the church, made of Jews, made of Gentiles, made of people of all socioeconomic backgrounds. He has brought us together by the blood of his son and he is building us up. And we are now citizens of his kingdom. We are sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters to one another. And we are growing, being built up into the dwelling place of the living God. And we are who we are because of what God has done for us. So throw your hands up like, you know, at, be grateful and rejoice in what he's done. And then secondly, would we join together and diligently work to embrace and walk in our, new, or our identity in Christ? This identity that we've been granted, that we've been given by what Jesus has done, let's embrace it together. And let's walk in it and learn to walk in it and fail along the way and change and grow 
together. The basis of our identity is the gospel, so the basis of what we do has to be the gospel. And so by God's grace, through the testimony of the apostles and the prophets, through God's word, let's build one another up. You have an opportunity to do that in life group tonight. Please join a life group. The sign-up sheets are out there. Sign up. Run out of room and you really want to join a group, we don't care. Sign up. Sign up. Attend a life group tonight. We have a real tangible opportunity to start that process of building this church up. We're unfinished. It's part of who we are. So let's keep laboring toward unity and wholeness because of who we are in Christ. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you so much for reconciling us to yourself through the work of your son. Thank you for bringing peace. As, as we reflect on who we once were and then try to grapple with who we now are, it's overwhelming. So we do offer praise and thanksgiving for what you've done on our behalf. Because if we were left to ourselves, we would still be separated from you. We would still be alienated from God's people. We, we would still be strangers to your promises. We would still be without hope and we would still be without you. But because of what you've done, we have been brought into the fold. We who were strangers and not only strangers, but rebels and enemies, you have welcomed us in. And you've given us all the privileges of citizenship in your kingdom. You have brought us into your family and you've given us over to one another. Help us to embrace that and to love and serve one another as good brothers and sisters should. Father, you have called us to be a dwelling place for you by your spirit. Please empower us to continue growing, to continue building until that day when our great king returns and establishes his kingdom forever and finally in the new heavens and the new earth where we will be in your presence forever and all of those promises will be finally and fully fulfilled. And as we wait for that day, Help us to be one. This particular faith family at the Church of Trace Crossing, help us to be united on the essentials. Help us to, to be at peace with one another. It's what your son died for, and it's who we are. Help us to walk in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to invite you to stand now as we respond through song.